Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. Don't let them end. Ah, Star Wars. If they should bar wars, please let these Star Wars stay. Hey, how about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask, did he scare you as much as he scared me? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. Not that you'll be able to tell by the content of this episode. I'm one of your hosts, the Irritable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, less than 12 parsecs, Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, you have been waiting to use that. I have. Weeks. I actually know. I have a really good feeling about this. We've been waiting to do this for a while, and we sort of hemmed and hawed over whether we should do it, and then we just decided, oh, to hell with it. And so I'm actually very excited to be discussing this rarely discussed topic. Right. I mean, we're we're sort of typing, tapping into uh, an untapped zeitgeist. Yeah. I think in, uh, <laughs> in Phantom. What's that sound? That's the sound of us jumping on a bandwagon, folks. Um, no, actually, we're not doing this to jump on the bandwagon. We're doing this just simply because we want to. We're we're nerds. We like talking about Star Trek. Who doesn't? Right. I mean, Star. <laughs> I really said Star Trek, didn't I? It is a little late at night. Who doesn't love talking about Battlestar Galactica 80? So Right. You know. I tell you, Buck Rogers, bring it on. Space 1999. We are going to talk about the Eagle. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are going to a little-known place that's uh, it's, it's far from here, and it was a while ago. Um, but before we do that, we need to give thanks to our sponsor, Folks, uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, we should have come up with a clever name for it, like the the Lightsaber and Blaster Podcast. Anyway, um, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to a smacking 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, get out your credit card, folks, because you're going to want to pick up some of these. What do you got, Rob? I have uh, Dark Horse's Star Wars The Thrawn Trilogy, which is the com- yeah, comic book adaptation of the Timothy Zahn books. Uh, the reading, we'll get into it later on in the show, but like reading the original three Zahn books is, was one of the great like reading experiences of my life. We'll get into that later. So I actually haven't read these. I didn't, I, I sh- it's not like I didn't know there was an adaptation because there simply is no Star Wars that has not been adapted into many forms at this point. But <laughs> it just didn't occur to me. So I want to pick this up. Uh, it's uh, The cover artist is uh, Dave Dorman, who was a Kubert School graduate like myself, of course. Uh, the writer is Mike Barron. The artists are various. It's a full-color book. Normal price is $34.99. In stock, price, in stock trades price, $20.29. That's 42% off. This is some of the best now non-canon Star Wars you're ever going to find these Timothy Zahn books and I really cannot wait to read read the adaptation so Star Wars the Thrawn Trilogy Volume 1 hardcover dude there is some astonishing artwork in there and I can't remember I want to say it was a French artist I can't remember which volume it is it might have been in two of the different volumes but this guy just I think it's an heir to the Empire anyway just the art was gorgeous a little kind of stylized but just gorgeous man so uh, you're you're gonna love the hell out of that thing. Cool. It's so good. 
Um, my pick's also Dark Horse, which is kind of funny because, you know, Marvel just got the license back to Star Wars comics, and a lot of folks are out there beating the drum saying how good the old Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars comics are. So, you know, it seems like a natural de- refault, uh, default would us be pimp those. But you know what? Dark Horse had some amazing comics, too. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they did the head of the license for <laughs> yeah, a quarter century. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to talk about first is uh, Star Wars Empire. This is a series that took place in between uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And uh, it was ran 40 issues. There's a number of trade paperbacks. In Stock Trades has something like, I don't know, six or seven of them. And uh, they all vary in price because they're all in various lengths. However, they're all 42% off. So some of them you're going to get for $7.51. Some you're going to get for $10.41. Anyway, go out there, look up Star Wars Empire. Pick those up. You're going to love them. Uh, and then while you're at it, pick up the trade paperbacks, which is Star Wars Rebellion, which was basically when Star Wars Empire ended after 40 issues. They just picked right up with Star Wars Rebellion for like another 16. All of these have been reprinted in trades. They're also in some of the omnibus editions that are out there too. Again, whatever version you find, they're all going to be 42% off on InStockTrades.com. Definitely pick them up. You will not regret it. These are some of my... As much as I love the Marvel Star Wars stuff, this is like... Not quote unquote real, more realistic, but it it's it's more modern storytelling. It's more high action adventure type stuff. It's great comics. I love it. In fact, if you liked the recent Dark Horse series by um, what was his name? Brian Woods. Brian Woods. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is more in that vein. So anyway, check those out. Star Wars Empire and Star Wars Rebellion, all within stock trades. Again, your best online source for trades hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% uh, off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, before we get rolling, Rob, I do have to thank you and come clean with the audience. Um, last week, Rob was kind enough to run that JLA episode because I was not available. He, Rob copped to, uh, basically, he, he lied to you guys and told you guys it was all <laughs> scheduling problem for him, when in truth... Um, it's kind of hard to say, but Rob was covering for my uh, crippling Pez addiction. Um, I am a Pez addict. I, I was clean for a number of years, but Halloween happened, and my daughter came home with her bag of candy, and I couldn't stop myself. I stole one of the jack-o'-lantern Pez dispensers that she'd gotten, and next thing I know, I woke up three days later in my own filth, surrounded by discarded and abused Pez collector sets. There was Star Trek and Lord of the Rings and Wizard of Oz everywhere. I'm still having cherry and lemon flavored flashbacks. So I uh, forgive me, I was unavailable. And Rob, I really appreciate you stepping up there and uh, helping me out. You got to get well. The first step is admitting you have a problem, and you've done that here on the air. So you know, you just got to get that uh, pink monkey off your back. live off cherry Pez. I actually knew somebody who collected Pez dispensers and had his his collection on display in his basement, and they were all standing up. They're all just like in a big line. Wow. Yep. That's wild. Yep. Did he like put gum underneath them to keep them from falling? I forget why. I forget, I, I forget what he did. Well, this was in New Jersey. We don't get earthquakes, but uh, I forget what he did. Something to keep them from falling upright. Yeah. Something. But yeah, he had like he had he had a couple of hundred. Because that's all it takes is one stray cat, and that that domino right, exactly. set's done. Yep. yep. <laughs> So, um, also, folks, by the way, there are two new podcasts that just got started talking about Star Wars. Now, I realize there's probably 5,000 podcasts talking about Star Wars, but two I wanted to mention. Since we started this show. Right. Two I wanted to mention specifically. Um, one's over on the Two True Freaks Network. Um, they ran the Star Wars Monthly Mondays for a number of years, which they've just completed, and they started a new show called Growing Up Star Wars. So, that's got a couple episodes under their belt. That's Scott and. Um, 
Chris, and I think uh, Scott Riefen's also on the show with him. Also, Scott Riefen's got his own show called My Star Wars Story. And that's people talking about um, how what it was like for them as a Star Wars fan. Now, I, I'll be honest, I haven't listened to either show yet, specifically because we were doing this episode. I didn't want to sort of color what we do versus what they do. So I, I don't know if we duplicate anything they did. Sorry, not on purpose. Um, but anyway, definitely check those out. Growing Up Star Wars and My Star Wars Story. So, good guys. So where do we start besides May 25th, 1977? <laughs> well, uh, where did you, I guess you, when did you first see the first film? I guess is a good thing to find out. You know, it's, I'm confident, but I might be wrong. I'm confident I saw it in the theater in 77. Okay. It's possible I actually saw it in 78. No, you know what? It had to be 77. Had to be. Because I remember when the second wave of action figures came out. Okay. And I, and I had seen the movie by that point. Okay. So I saw it in 77. Yeah, me too. I, I saw it, you know, I saw it in an original run with, with my dad and my sister. And uh, it's, you know, it's funny. I have this distinct memory of um, going right after the film ended to a uh, department store and my dad buying me a Han Solo action figure. And it was only in later on discovering that the action figures weren't out then. Right. They didn't come out for the, the following year, and they had the whole empty box thing that Kenner did. It was basically a promise yeah. to people. Oh, we, you know, buy this certificate, and you'll get figures later. So my memory is obviously – I must be remembering seeing it as a re-release and then getting the Han Solo figure afterwards because it wasn't out when I first saw it. So that's that had to be what it was. And then one of the other things I remember – seeing one of the times it was re-released. And I, I still remember this like it was yesterday. It's amazing the things that, you know, you forget and the things you don't. But I remember seeing Star Wars in a theater and at the, I, I seem to think it was at the end of it. It made no sense that it would be at the end of it. So it must have been at the beginning, but I feel like it was at the end. But anyway, it had clips from Empire tacked on. Oh, them. wow. And I, it must have been, again, it must have been poor. And I remember seeing that scene of Darth and Han in Bespin. Yeah. And my head exploded. I mean, my head, <laughs> I just was so, because, I mean, you think this is like 78, 79. This is pre anything, you know, like pre the only way you ever got any advanced news of anything was like famous monsters of Filmland or Starlog. And I didn't really get that stuff at that age. So, I mean, I didn't see, I didn't see any of that stuff. So this was like the first time I'd seen any new piece of Star Wars footage outside the holiday special, which mm-hmm. we should probably call this this episode the Fire and Water Holiday Special. Um, <laughs> uh, but like I just rem- I just like levitated in my seat. I was so excited. I just never forgot that. Well, that that first trailer for Empire is hilarious. Um, I don't know if you've watched it since. Yes, I've seen it on the big screen. Actually, as a okay. friends of mine have run it on the big screen. Well, the narration is really corny. I mean, it's really, like, you know, you get, you get voiceover guys who do voice work, and sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. Well, the voiceover work for the original Empire Trail is really, really bad, and it becomes even funnier when you realize it's Harrison Ford. I didn't know that. Yeah, go back and listen to it. It's Harrison Ford going, you know, it's, I don't remember. Well, Orson Welles did the original Star Wars one, but Harrison does the Empire one. It's terrible. It's really bad. So, uh, definitely, you can find that on YouTube. It's all over the place. But... You know, as we're sitting here saying this now, I'm double. I'm I'm questioning myself 
How about with our salt in 77? Because I forgot. You're right. The figures weren't out till nope. 78. Yeah, they didn't come out till 78. I, I didn't know that until, you know, many years ago. And I read it. I was like, what? I don't remember that at all. So Okay. You know, I, you know what? I'm just deciding I saw it in 77, whether I'm right or <laughs> okay. not. I don't care. I know my brother saw it either opening weekend or the second weekend. Because, mm-hmm. like, when he went to see it, there was a line around the building. Um, there was a lot of buzz about the film, but no one really knew what it was about. So he he was a very early adopter. In fact, he joined the Star Wars fan club early on, <laughs> and got the patches, and he got the the necklace with the C three PO pendant, which I still have to this day. Thank you very much. <laughs> I must have driven my parents crazy because I just was. I mean, I, I was a superhero kid from birth on, and then yeah, we all know we, we've had to listen to you for yes. three years talking yeah. about this. And then uh, oh, I'm so sorry. And then uh, in in. <laughs> 77 Star Wars just it didn't it wasn't like they moved they, they replaced superheroes but all of a sudden they superheroes had to make room because it was just nothing started from basically 77 through around 1984 mm-hmm. um, other than the short burst with the superpowers collection it was all Star Wars it, I just yeah. wanted nothing else but Star Wars and anytime I ever got any other figures that were like space toys they got glommed into the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. you know I had Battlestar Galactica figures I was like okay they're Star Wars characters. They all got just caught up in the wave of Star Wars. How plated. funny. Yep. How funny. Daggett's fighting Wampus. I had Oveon. Huh? I had the giant big bug guy from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. I think I made him a Jedi or something. It was well, just, of course you did. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, it's funny. You mentioned their fandom. Like, I have, I have this weird thing throughout my whole life where I, I, I shift in my main focus of fandoms. It's either like comic books, like I'll be really focused on comics for a while, or I get focused on Star Wars for a while, or then I shift to Doctor Who for a while, then I shift to Star Trek for a while, and then I go right back through the cycle. It's like rinse, repeat, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> um, you know, right now I'm in a comic phase, specifically Ultraverse, I just can't get enough of it, but it's when the Star Wars phase hits, like I'm reading the books, I'm rereading the comics, I'm listening to the soundtracks, you know, it's, it's, it's what I'm, I want to watch the movies, it's what I'm doing, and I, you get caught up and you can't help it. You know, those first three movies are so incredibly good. Yeah, I mean, and I, I lived and breathed the Marvel Star Wars comic in between. I mean, that was just – any glimpse I could get of the characters outside of the – outside of, you know, the first movie and then the second movie and then later the third movie. It just – like I said, I mean, I remember, I remember sitting in my parents' – in my parents' house in 1978 watching the holiday special. I mean, I still distinctly <laughs> remember watching the holiday special. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't care. I didn't know that it wasn't good because I was seven. I was an idiot, you know. I was just yeah. like, "Oh no!" It's and plus it had that cool cartoon with Boba Fett in it, which was almost made it worth it. But what's well, the best thing about? It. I have the holiday special. I don't know if you have a copy. I well, can't. But. I can't bear to watch it. So I mean, I've 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 watched it a couple of times, and it's just unendurable. So I so I see no need to own it. It is. It is so bad. Now I own it on. Um bootleg VHS from a convention in like 94. Right. You know, it's like, that's how early I, I got my hands on this thing. And we were so, and by this point we didn't know it, like it hadn't gone into common acceptance that it was terrible. Like people remembered existed. Sort yes. of, Kind yeah. of. This is back in the era where Lucas just pretended it never happened. Yep. Um, and people didn't, a lot of people didn't remember it. So when we got our hands on it, we're like, woo, we got the, we got the unfound Star Wars. <laughs> well, we got like a bunch of guys together. We're all in college. We got a bunch of guys together. We put it in. Oh my God. It's yeah. unwatchable. It's so yeah. bad. It's 90 and minutes I, and it feels like it's about four hours long. Oh my God. I only, I could only remember from my childhood one scene, which was Han punching a stormtrooper and flipping him off of uh, the, the treehouse. You know, I, like over the side of the treehouse. 
the Wookiee house, which is awesome. I mean, that's a great, that's like the best shot in the whole thing. And, um, and now I'm questioning if it really happened or if I imagined it. <laughs> either way. <laughs> uh, the rest of it, I didn't even remember there was a cartoon until someone like told me, and I'm like, no, there was not. He's like, yeah, we got a big argument about it growing up until we finally rewatched it. But it's uh, it's an interesting piece of Star Wars history, if nothing else. And it, yeah, it's the first appearance of Boba Fett. That's right. So, in fact, I was at Dragon Con a couple years ago, and there was a dude walking around. You see lots of Mandalorians at Dragon Con, but I saw that staff. Because Boba, Boba Fett had a very specific staff. He had the staff, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, are you Boba Fett from the Christmas special? He's like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> I was like, that's unbelievable. So, now we talked about action figures. I had a bunch myself. Um, of the original 12, I had them all except for the sand person. And I took them to school with me for show and tell. And my family warned me, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to lose them. And it's like, oh, no, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I was in first grade. I knew everything, right? So I took him to school, and the way I had to bus to school was I would take a bus to a school, and then we would get on a transfer bus to a different school across town. It's just the way things worked. It was wow. the 70s. You know, people liked people on buses. So we would hang out at this first school and just play. So on the way home, I was hanging out. I wanted to play, so I put my Star Wars figures down on the bench, covered them with my jacket, thought, you know, there's security right there, right? That's better than a master lock. And went off and played. Came back, they were gone. Oh! Heartbroken. Devastated. To this day, I'm still upset about this. I tell my daughter this story when she wants to take something to school. When I went to Michigan this summer for uh, for an event, I took a picture of the bench and sent it to my daughter. I said, guess what this is? She goes, that's where you lost your Star Wars figures. I'm like, that's right. Is the police tape still up? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a crime scene. Um, so the, what my family then did was they slowly uh, replaced the figures for me. That's about the time the second 12 came out. Uh, so you know, by the end, I had them all again. But uh, just what a devastating blow to a kid. And I kept collecting the figures. Um, I, have, I had every one of the A New Hope figures. I had every one of the Empire Strikes Back figures. And then by the time Return came out, I was sort of growing out of that phase. Um, so, I mean, I still loved Return. But once once Return was over, and I guess I hope I'm not getting too far ahead, real quick here. But once Return of the Jedi was over, Star Wars was over. I mean, maybe we will hold that conversation for just a few minutes. But Star Wars ended, guys, for a long time. It did. People, young people can't even imagine that. But so my my figures like sort of petered out about you know I don't know like ten or fifteen figures from Empire. I'm from I'm sorry from Return, but that was it. So the, you mentioned the comics too. I didn't discover. The Marvel superhero comics. I had a few. I mean, I had the reprints of the first few issues because I think everyone. I think when you were born in the seventies, you were issued those reprints. You know, in nineteen seventy-seven, they're just issued every child of the first couple issues. You know, it was the way their parents uh, were issued a Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album. That's right, and uh, Neil Diamond's uh, Hot Austin Nights or whatever it was, or Summer. <laughs> I have so. no idea. Anyway, um, so I had those, but like I didn't really get into it until I came across issue number fifty. This is in between Empire and Return. And Star Wars fandom was at a fever pitch. Like, you couldn't believe in between Empire and Return. Anyway, Star Wars, Star Wars number 50 had a beautiful painted cover by Tom Palmer. And the inside had Han Solo in it. And at that point, you know, Han Solo is in a carbonite, right? What the hell? So this was a big deal. And it was a double-sized thing. It had a great story. The art, Al Williamson art inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a fantastic issue. And uh, I read it, I fell in love with it, and so I actually ended up, 
that's my era of Star Wars comics, as far as uh, the Marvel stuff goes, is from Empire to Return. That in-between era is like my favorite of all Marvel Star Wars era. I mean, I own them all now, but that's just the best. You've got Shira Bree, you've got, you know, Vader coming at Luke. It's like, I, I've come for you, Luke Skywalker. You know, and just all that stuff was amazing. Ugh. There's a great issue of that. So again, we're just jumping around here, but there's a great issue just, just, just before that, number 49, which is called The Last Jedi. And the art is by Walt Simonson and Tom Palmer, I believe, which is that's a really nice combination. And I think the story is by Mike W. Barr. And it's a great, it's a really, it's a there's like it's like a palace intrigue, and um, Luke and Leia go undercover at this pl- at this planet, and they pretend to be different people. And the the king, the prince on this planet, is protected by a Jedi. And of course, you're like, well, wait a minute, aren't all the Jedi's dead? This Jedi, he, this guy used, he was an alien, an alien being. Mm-hmm. In relation to us, of course, because it's this planet, he's not an alien. But he was—he used to be a Jedi, and then he was injured protecting the prince. He got hit in the head by like a falling boulder, and it basically made him, gave him, uh, it damaged his brain, and he became senile. Hmm. It didn't, That's right. It didn't yeah. kill him, but it made him senile. So it's like, well, technically he was a Jedi. He was so confused, and he was—he thought it was the past all the time. And it's a really beautiful story, and I love sort of the way that Mike Barr kind of got around the rule of, well, there are no more Jedis. Mm. Like, well, yeah, he's technically not a Jedi anymore. He was, because that's, I mean, Marvel had to do a lot of that, because apparently George Lucas passed a lot, had a lot of rules for what Marvel could and couldn't do. He got a lot worse after Return. And right, it's, right, which is part of the reason why they canceled the book. It was mm-hmm. The combination of sales had petered out and the fact that Lucas was apparently pretty difficult to deal with. But um, I, I like that they had to – I mean like one of the rules he sat down was like Darth could not face Luke in mm-hmm. between Star Wars and Empire. Yep. He could not face each other. And there were always covers with Darth Vader squaring off against Luke and you're like, oh, this is – they're probably going to do it. And then you open it and you're like, no, it's a guy dressed as Darth Vader or <laughs> they always have to get around it somehow. Or it's and, a dream or It's whatever. a dream. Right, exactly. And I never – I think at the time I didn't mind that stuff and I don't now because it was like, hey, you got to do what you got to do. But I mean I bought every issue. That was probably for many years my favorite Marvel title was Star Wars. Yeah. Because There's some really interesting stuff going on there. When David Michelini was writing it, mm-hmm. I mean, you got David Michelini, you got Walt Simonson, you got Tom Palmer, um, oh jeez, a bunch of other great artists. But um, Kyle Williamson, you mentioned him. Yep. Earlier. So David Michelini was way ahead of his time. When I, I don't know if you remember, there was a story about uh, a super weapon called the Tarkin. Yes. That, oh, I do remember that. Yes. Yeah. It was originally going to be another Death Star. I can see that. Yeah, and, and and Lucasfilm looked at the scene and they're like, "Whoa, Mm-mm. no, 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 you know, not happening." And then there's, oh gosh, I'm forgetting right now, but there's a few other things that that Michelini put together, and it's like, dude, that totally happened. <laughs> you know? uh, even some of his, you know, forest planet, like they their headquarters was on a forest planet, and all this stuff. It's like this is totally they nailed everything. Now, my, my, some of my personal favorites out of uh, Marvel Star Wars, you probably like Jackson the Big Green Rabbit. I did like Jackson, and I'm thrilled that he's coming back. Is he, or is he yes. just on that mock cover? No, apparently he's really coming back. Because he's, you know, he's on that one cover, yep. and it's, it's created a bit of a controversy amongst hardcore fans, because they feel like they're mocking Jackson on the cover. Because you know he's trying to get in and, and to like an all. They are, they are mocking him, him a little, but yeah. so he, can, he, can t- he can take it. 
I think it's fun. I think it's hilarious because I mean, yeah. yes, they're mocking the character, but you know what? At least they're acknowledging he existed. There's <laughs> you know? room in the Star Wars universe for 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 humor. I mean, you had those uh, those two characters, the Tag and Bink guys. Yeah, those were they were like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the Star Wars universe. Like that, they, there's totally room for that. So there's nothing wrong with poking a little fun at Jackson. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Bring him. I'm glad to bring him back though. Well, my uh, my personal favorite, and I hope somehow that we see them again, is uh, Pliff in the Hoojibs. Oh, the Hoojibs, yeah. <laughs> I love. I want a stuffed Hoojibs so bad. I would. I would probably. <laughs> I'd not probably, make that. I mean, how was there any Star Wars merchandise not made? I'd probably. I'd probably kill a midget for that. I think I might. So, um, so, all right. So we've talked a little bit about the comics, Marvel's comics. We talked about action figures. Um, did you have the album? The big uh, fold-out album. I literally had everything. I couldn't. I, I mean, I had everything. There's, well, there's, excuse me, Mister Star Wars. Yeah, well, I was, I was Richie Rich as a kid, as everyone knows. Uh, <laughs> there's a photo of me on, on on Christmas Day putting together my Death Star. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which uh, and I, I I I will painfully admit it took me way too long to learn that you really shouldn't chew on that little garbage pieces. The, the foam? foam. Yeah, because they taste like, oh. like shit. I don't know why it took me more than one to learn them. Um, <laughs> The nasty thing is, like, I still have mine, my Death Star, and you touch that foam nowadays, and it, like, disintegrates. It's disgusting. It's really <laughs> gross. But I still have the rope, ring, the rope swing, which, having worked in a comic book shop over the years, that was always the first piece to be lost by any child <laughs> in their Death Star, was the rope swing. I still have mine. Very, very good. I gave away all my figures to my cousin when oh, I wow, got to be, nice when I was around 14. And, you know... 14 to like 18 is such a dangerous age because at that age you want to be like an adult mm-hmm. and you want to get rid of all your kid stuff. You know, you're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. and when you get to be like 18 or 19, all of a sudden you kind of just startly, starting to slightly be old enough to be nostalgic right. to think you had as a kid. So you wish you had them again. So I wish that at that age, at 14, I just put all that stuff in the basement in a box and forgotten about it, as opposed to wanting to get rid of it, because yeah. they literally had every figure. I had the Darth Vader collector case, which I know you had because you you post that pictures. Um, I mean, I literally had everything when I was when we I, we've mentioned before many times on the show going to the vacation in the Poconos. I brought my Star Wars figures one year, and I lost my Death Star Commander mm. under the bed, under the bunk bed that was in my room. And I kid you not, every single year we would come back, I would look under the bunk bed again just in case it was still there. <laughs> it was That's like, so sad. I think they cleaned it between at least once in the year since you've been back. But I kept looking because I was like, I really does dark, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't just go to the TGY and buy another one. <laughs> I did buy I mean, that's it. I had every – let me say I had I, – I, I, until Jedi, like you mentioned – I don't think I had all the Ewoks. I think at that point I had kind of gotten a little like, ah, all right, this is this is yep. fading out for me. But but pre that, every single one, and I had the Cantina set. I that's another thing I remember. My dad buying me the the Sears Cantina set, and yep. he, you know, my mom was off working, and he had to go do something, and I that just occupied me for like two and a half hours. I tried to figure out all the intricacies of the rubber band. Rubber bands, yes. rubber band command mechanisms that involved you to allowed you to open the door when somebody stood on it, and it came with the snaggle tooth. It was extra tall. Yep, it was tall and blue, not the sore red guy. So yeah, I mean, I just lived and breathed it. And there's a movie out now called I think it's called Plastic Fantasy. 
<laughs> it's plastic something, and it's a documentary just about the Star Wars toys. Oh wow! And it's on iTunes for like you can rent it for like four dollars. And I'm like, it's only because I haven't literally had ninety minutes in a row to watch something, and iTunes insists you watch it or you like it. You know the rental expires. But I'm like, I'm I have to rent this movie. I have to. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just. I want to get one of the books too. I'm surprised I haven't gotten any of the books yet. Uh, about a great the- book. I got to recommend. I have. It's called. The, it was called Star Wars: The Action Figure Archive, and um, that's it's got not a, the two- Sand Sweep one, right? That's a different one. Uh, let me see if this cord will stretch all the way over here. Um, Steve Sand Sweep, the guy. Oh, I know who Sand. Yeah, I know who Sand yeah. Sweep is. Um, he wrote a book about the, the figures, but I think the one you're talking about. Yeah, no, this is him. Oh, it is him. Okay. This is Sam Sweet one, yep. Okay. Now, my version's from, like, 99. I'm sure they have done more since then. I would have to imagine. But the 99 version had, um, it's like over 2,000 pictures. It was every figure and play set and vehicle from 1977 to 1997. Great book. Oh, you just get lost in it. It's beautiful. Speaking of, by the way, have you seen, there's a company that's producing... 12-inch figures molded exactly based on the three and a half, three and a seven, five. I uh, have. Figures. Yeah. That's they're like a hundred bucks a piece. Yeah. But they're huge. They're like massive. I Yeah, that, it's very, very true. And do they have them now for Marvel too? Like they have Marvel Avengers ones that are that big. And uh, I, I, again, we're jumping around, but like, can you imagine what, toy stores uh, or like your Target or Walmart or wherever you buy, what they're going to look like when the Star Wars merchandise starts hitting the new stuff. <laughs> I don't know because um, – I mean I – mean, well, but, but we saw it all for episode one, two, and three. I think I this is bigger than that though. I honestly think this is bigger. Than I don't know three. that it is. I don't know. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. We're still in the past. Right. Still in the past. Um, I had the Dagobah playset. I had the Jawa Sandcrawler, uh-huh. the Land Speeder, I had the Darth. The only, the only like flying ship I had was uh, Darth Vader's uh, X or X uh, Tie Fighter. I always wanted the Millennium Falcon. I remember, I, I remember being a total pissant when I got the Death Star, and like the box was large. So I was convinced it was a Millennium Falcon. Oh, no. <laughs> and I opened it with the Death Star, and I was like a total piss hand to my oh, parents. Oh, no. I, I carry nice. so much guilt about that. Um, I'm a terrible I'm a terrible son. Uh, my Tauntaun was the one that came with the slit in the belly, so it wasn't the first Tauntaun. It was the second Tauntaun. Yeah, I, I did not have the slit in the belly. So it's like it's funny, all this stupid stuff that's coming back to me right now. As I'm, I'm looking at some photos I took of my figure, so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I had that and that. Oh, yeah, and that and blah, blah, blah. When we, uh, when we were, uh, for the first eight years of my life, we lived in Philadelphia, and we lived in a row house. And uh, for anyone who's not familiar with what a row house is, it's basically like your sort of like your front door is one level off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the garage is on the lo- the garage is on the ground, and then your front door is one level above that. And so your front porch has like a big drop where mm-hmm. your garage door is, and then the next house over, their porch is sort of like across the the length of two garages. So there's like this big grand canyon between each of your porches. And I had my land speeder, and I used to rev my land speeder and see how fast I could get it, and if it could make it to the other porch. And it never made it; it always smashed sure. into the cement wall. But damn, if that thing didn't last for years! And I was like, "Boy, that's a really well-made toy," because I smashed the crap out of that thing. 
And it all, we, all it did was just pop the little hood open. That was all it ever did, you know? And I was like, that's a really well-made toy that, that it just survived that long, that much that much use. How much funny. I mean, very early on, I broke the, the, the third nacelle off, the one on top. <laughs> Somehow it, it busted. I had it, though. So it just didn't sit there. And I tried gluing it. It would never stay there. So it became my toy comlink. Okay. It was, just, it was just the right size to be a comlink. It was just, you know, the silly things you do as a kid. But There were some things, too. It's like considering that, that they never – considering some of the characters they did make toys from, I'm always – like was always frustrated as a kid because, I mean, I – well, okay. Did you replicate the movie scenes or did you create your own? I created my own. Okay. I did that. I did that, too. I never, I never recreated the movies. But nevertheless, I wanted every. Sure, you didn't. Rob. I never. <laughs> <laughs> you asked um, the question. I'm just saying. <laughs> I had dreams of kissing my sister. Uh, but uh, oh, God. but um, I was I did want every single character replicated, and I was so frustrated that they never made a figure of the little spy guy. Mm, mm-hmm. A little longer, like that guy has like a long scene in Star but they made, Wars. They made one later. Right, but well, I never. But I'm talking about the the original yeah, line. Sure. They made Power Droid, for God's sakes, a box with feet on it. And, you know, he has do, no line. Do not speak ill of the gonk. <laughs> the gonk, that's right. His name is the gonk. You know what I mean? They made, a, they made, a, they made Death Star Droid, who has right. no lines. He's just sitting in the sand crawler. But yet the little, that guy, the spy guy, who looked kind of cool, and he had a little box that he talked to, and he got like a whole thing. They never made a toy of him. I was just like, what? What are you doing to me here? You got 19 loops. Like, give me the, give me the spy guy. Yeah, there's some other stuff we forgot to talk about too. Stuff that uh, I had grown look at, grown up. Like, um, did you have? I, I imagine you did. I think everyone in the 70s did. Did you have the Escape from the Death Star board game? I did. Ah, oh, that thing was great. I mean, I don't remember if it was. It could have totally sucked, but I just remember playing it all the time. I still have one of the little uh, mover pieces of like Han and uh, Han and Chewie standing there together on a yellow background somewhere. And then, of course, there was the Star Wars arcade game and the Return of the Jedi arcade game that we all love so much. Well, there, there was also an, electro- an electronic game, and it was it was basically the X-wing versus Tie Fighter, and it was like a little console, oh, and it had okay. a little it had a keypad, and you press button. It basically was sort of like Battleship, mm-hmm. uh, and you all the ships were represented just by dots. I mean, the graphics were literally just red dots. And a tie and I played that thing. I swear, like the batteries wore out, and I would put new batteries in, and then just keep playing. I never, <laughs> just never got tired. Of, and it made little sense when you got attacked by a Death Star and by the uh, by a Tie Fighter. Like, Rrr. I, just, I so like again. I think about how easily mollified I must have been to my parents. You just give give the kid some comic books or some Star Wars stuff, and he's right. just quiet for the next sixteen hours. We don't have to feed him, bathe him. He's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that smelly Kelly kid. He's, he's quiet when don't he's got think toys. that that rhyme wasn't made many times. Growing <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I um, I, I have very fond memories of playing the Star Wars arcade game and the Return of the Jedi arcade game. Oh yeah, played the hell. I dunked so many quarters into the Return of the Jedi game. Because I just thought the graphics were amazing. You know, these were astonishing graphics. <laughs> and I would, by golly, I was gonna, I was gonna fly that speeder bike, and I was gonna get there to uh, to hear them say, "We are now part of the tribe." You know, I, I was so desperate to hear that little thing. <laughs> did, did you ever, um, like I said, we are like Robson said, we're totally all over the board, and that's all my fault because I'm just ADD on this stuff. But did you ever listen to the radio dramas when they actually were on the radio? No, I missed that. I I think radio was just like not of my 
just out of my periphery at that point. But I went back and listened to them later. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed yeah. them quite a bit because I love how it fills in the story. Oh, yeah. Of all the little, you know, like I love all that stuff. But no, that was something. And I remember I saw the, the, the ads for it in the Marvel mm-hmm. comics. And I used to be like, where can I hear this? But it just just somehow escaped me. I don't know how we got hooked up with it, but um, we, we did listen to it. And I remember sitting on the floor of the – I mean this is something that would never happen nowadays. But I remember sitting on the floor of the living room because my dad had this giant cabinet stereo. The kind that's like as big as a desk. Yeah, my parents did too, yeah. Yep. Sitting on there, you know, we, getting the dial, like spinning the dial to find the right station. And we would sit there and listen to – I think it was – in my mind, it was like Sunday afternoons or something. I don't know if that's right or not. But I remember sitting down and listening to the, you know, that installment of the Star Wars ra- you know, radio drama. And it's just like totally transfixed. You're like, oh. You know, I don't think I got a chance to listen to every single one. Um, and I think that was probably the – Empire one, mm-hmm. actually, now that I think about it. Just given that uh, where the house I remember listening to it in, it was probably the Empire one. And Return, actually, they never did a Return one until years later. Like m- like in the 90s, they did really? a Return I one. Didn't yeah, okay. it's not very It's not very good. Hmm. Um, like you said, that Star Wars and Empire really fleshes things out. There's more to the story in there. So, so good. Yeah. So then, uh, of course, there's the Ewok. You know, you walk in droids, cartoons. There's, the, I, you know what? I will say my my love of Star Wars bled into those. I tried them, and I just was like, I can't do. That. Like I, I at that point, I was like 14, mm-hmm. and I just was like, I'm too old. I'm just too old. This is just too kiddy. I can't. I mean, I love Jedi. I love. I saw Jedi in the theater, and and I loved everything about it. And I I think the film is just as good as the other two films. I think it's all of a piece. I mean. I think empiric, no pun intended, empirically, uh, <laughs> Empire is the best one yes. of the three. I don't think there's any, anybody's even really. Uh, Star Wars is still my favorite. Empire is by far the best made film, but I think Jedi has so much good stuff in it that, it, to me, it's of a piece with the other two films. But after that, it, when it became so kitty, I just kind of went, "All right, yeah." And it felt weird. It felt weird to not be following it. Yep, because. And I don't know how much people that are like significantly younger than us that listen to the show I, like can fully grasp how huge it was because there wasn't as much to be interested in. I mean, there just wasn't as much. I mean, there was Battlestar Galactica. There was Star Trek. Star Trek had lain kind of dormant for a little while there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was Buck Rogers. I mean, there was always there was always sci-fi stuff. But it just – when you were – if you were a Star Wars kid, it just – it it took up eighty percent of your brain. Well, the, you know? the closest I could give kids nowadays would be the Avengers popularity, because I mean, right now they've got ten movies in that franchise. <laughs> um, more action figures you can shake a stick at, more cartoons that you can shake a stick at, comic books. I mean, it's everywhere. I don't know, and, and even that is not as pervasive as Star Wars yeah. fandom was. Yeah. Because we also we didn't have as much crap to be interested in. We had three TV channels. You yeah, know that's I mean? right. That's the other thing. Yeah, you just didn't have as much. You really didn't. So. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I did want to mention one more thing. I'm sorry, my fault. I started taking us down a path, and I, I forgot to mention. Uh, prior to 77, I, I just stumbled across this stuff recently. It seems like everyone and their sister knew about it but me. But uh, the people who auditioned for the original Star Wars film is really interesting. Like Kurt Russell auditioned for Han Solo and... <laughs> You can see his screen tests out there, 
and he's pretty good. I yeah, mean, well, he would have been a perfectly good Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like Snake Plissken, or yeah. not, well, not even Snake, more maybe his character from Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton. Yeah, Jack. If if you think of Jack Burton as Han Solo, it totally would have worked. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Now Harrison Ford is is better. I mean, he's he's amazing. Um, but then I saw the screen tests also for William Cat as in the Greatest American Hero for Luke Skywalker. Oh my gosh, he would have been an amazing Luke Skywalker, assuming they gave him a haircut. Um, because his hair in the 70s, when he tried out for Star Wars, makes his hair in Greatest American Hero look tame. Um, the, 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 the crazy hairdo he had going. But he is so good. Wow, he's powerful. I wonder why they didn't go with him. Um, because they said he didn't have the youthful optimism that Mark Hamill had. Huh. Okay. And if you watch the screen test with Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, you can see it. Mark Hamill is also amazing. Mark Hamill, you watch that and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish a tenth of that had come through in the first movie. Hmm. You know, because yeah. it didn't. Uh, the first movie looks really obnoxious, actually. <laughs> but it, it, Mark Hamill... Like that scene where he whines that he only got a Death Star when he thought he was getting a Millennium Falcon? That's, you really aren't unsympathetic to him in that scene. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for a Tashi Station joke. Wow, look at that. You just took that and just uh, slipped right between the ribcage. Um, all right, so if we begin to move on here. You, you know, know what? Like, what? You, you, got, you got one callback. I'm going to do a callback. To do it. Got something too. The holiday special. Ugh, this, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, I just want to talk about Lumpy. No, no, no. Harvey uh, Corman. Oh. No. This was, this was, I pitched this idea. I've pitched this to anyone who will listen, and people just back away from me and walk, and they don't make eye contact when I <laughs> But this is my thing. Lucas has said that if he could, he would hunt down every copy of the Harley special and burn it. Right? He has said that. Right? But he can't. He can't. Mm-hmm. That particular Pandora's box is open. Right? Right. And he also refuses to acknowledge its existence in any history. Like in any of the books, uh, like they'll mention it, but they don't give it. Uh, what? What? What is the weird sounds you're making? In the expanded universe, Chewie's married to a woman named Mala, and he's got a son okay. named Lumpy. Okay, but I mean, in the book, in the histories of the, the the these hardcover books that they've put out, yes, they don't mention the holiday special. They act as though it doesn't exist. Lucas wants to pretend it exists, but everybody knows it doesn't. Everybody there's knows no, it exists. There's no such thing as Life Day. Right. Okay. This is my thing. I think the best way to solve that would be for Lucas, Lucasfilm, to issue the holiday special on DVD, get, get interviews, get the people that made it, like do a full-on deluxe version, right? Mm-hmm. That way, every Star Wars fan who wants to own it can actually own a nice copy, and they don't own like the fifth generation, like the one you have, like the one right. why everybody bought that's made from a dupe of a dupe of a dupe from a reel in 1978 that some guy held in the back of his trunk. Right. But if Lucas doesn't want to make money off of it because he thinks it's so terrible, donate all the money to charity. Well, he did that when he sold Star Wars. But you know what I mean. But Keep I'm, in mind, Lucas, Lucas wouldn't do this. It would be Disney. Okay, well, all right. But I'm just saying is, but he doesn't, he has said he's embarrassed of the holiday special. He doesn't, and that's why he doesn't ever want to acknowledge it. Well, to right. me, it's like, you're, you're, by, by doing that, you're allowing all the people that want to own it to own a shitty version of it. So right. just, just go full out 
and say, okay, fine, here it is. We're going to do a full version. It's going to come with a bonus disc or something, but I'm not going to make money off of it because I feel guilty because it's so terrible. So you know what? All the money's going to go to whatever my favorite charity is. And to me, that's win-win. You give the Star Wars fans what they want. They get to own a nice version of it, but you're also not feel like you're bilking your audience. You know, to be fair, they did re-release the Star Wars Christmas album. So with John Bon Jovi singing, yeah. So right, right again. So Lucas's so. protestations a little, you know. Let's calm down, you know. I mean, yeah. You know, so I just think to me that fixes both problems. Is that it? it if if Lucas, ha- if there was a way to make sure no fan ever had a copy, I could see Lucas saying, "No, I, I'm never going to release it because I control it." But he can't control it. It's out. <laughs> it's it's done. It's everybody's got it. So why not allow people a nice version of it? And I mean, get get the makers to come into a commentary track and just apologize for the whole ninety minutes and just get. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know what I was thinking. Jefferson Starship. I. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Harvey Corman doing a. Um, oh, what was the chef? Uh, the, the the Julia Child. Yeah, yeah. doing a Julia four arm or six oh, arm Julia God. Child. It's just so, all right. I'm sorry. We drag us back to that. But that anyway. That's my. That's my idea. I know it'll never happen, but that was my idea. Uh, well, you know, J.J. Abrams could go look at it and go, you know, should I invest my time in doing the post-production for Episode 7? Well, I think there's or... enough of another people in the Star Wars team that he doesn't have to spend his time on. I think there's at least a couple of people working on these films. Just a couple. Just, Just a, a couple. couple. All right. So Star Wars, you know, Return of the Jedi is out. It's over. Lucas has said numerous times in interviews, even though he tried to pretend he didn't, that he always envisioned it as a nine-film series. Oh, man, I love... I mean, he, he spent so much time denying that. It's like, dude, it's in every... What are you talking about? It's in every print interview. I committed yeah. that to memory, George. Don't right. lie to me. So, uh, and then 1983 comes, 1984 comes, and by this point, the cartoons are starting to wind down. I think it was around 86 that we got the Ewok TV movies. Yep which were a bit of a, a coffin nail to some extent. Yeah, I don't think I even um, watched those. I think by that point I was like, all right, enough. <laughs> I did. Well, i got to tell my story then. Um, I actually affected them. Um, I played a role in Star Wars history, and it's sort of maybe not true, but it is. Um, <laughs> bear with me. Uh, my parents worked for TV stations. My mom worked for NBC, but my dad worked for ABC. The TV movie played on ABC. The second one had Wilford Brimley in it. And there's one part where he goes to adjust this machine, and he spits in his hands, and he grumble, and he flips a switch and grumbles under his breath. But I swear it sounds like the F-bomb. Okay? <laughs> I kid you not. All right? And, and then, um, so I watched this thing on tape, and I thought it was, the, you know, I'm like, what, uh, was this, 86? So I'm like... 14. I think it's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I just keep rewinding and playing the scene. I showed it for my mom. My mom's horrified. I show it for my dad, and he's like, because he works for ABC. And he's like, huh. When that show replayed next, that scene had a space of quiet, and you couldn't hear that noise. Damn it, Shaq. But it's in the DVD, don't worry. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I own I the DVD, Wilford of course. Brimley, that would not surprise me that that's really what it was. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> It's what he's, forgive me, you know, explicit tag, whatever. He goes, duh, duh, and that's the noise it makes. But it sure sounds like the F-bomb. That way I said, he, he was kind of that kind of guy, so that wouldn't talk <laughs> you know. He was the serial guy back then, wasn't he? Anyway. Um, but he had done some other things. Did you know that J.J. Abrams, this is not Star Wars, but did you know J.J. Abrams, as a teenager, um, had a hand in uh, changing a scene in um, 
Escape from New York. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Really? He was this. He's the son. He was the son of some movie executive, apparently. Yeah. And they held a screening, like a first print screening of Escape from New York. And Carpenter was there. And young J.J. Abrams, like, you know, like 10-year-old J.J. Abrams got to go. And after it was over, Carpenter asked people what they thought. And he actually had the temerity to pipe pipe up and mm-hmm. say that he thought that it wasn't clear that the Adrian Barbeau character, spoiler alert, dies in the movie. Okay. She sort of dies off camera. And, like, he thought it was confusing. And Carpenter agreed with him. And, like, that weekend – they shot a scene in John Carpenter's driveway of Adrian Barbeau dying. And that scene is in the movie, and that's because of young J.J. Abrams making the suggestion. See? Me and J.J. were the same. Yep. Same thing. the same. Same thing. So, uh, the Ewok movies happen, and Star Wars dies a very quiet death. Right. The Marvel series ends like a year after that. Star Wars just goes away. It leaves the public consciousness because we didn't all have... VH, well, we all had VHS, but home VHS tapes you would own were not a thing back then. No, no. You could get them from the video store, I think. Um, well, I don't know when they issued them the first time, but anyway. So, you just there, was, there wasn't a chance to rewatch them. There was not any ancillary materials. Star Wars just literally became a quiet product. It was kind of a dead uh, franchise. And the movies weren't going to, didn't look like the movies were going to materialize. And so that was it. And as far as us Star Wars fans were, we just had to grow up. Now, there were a couple of things in here. And this is where uh, I was not tied up in this at the time. I came later. But in 1987, during what's kind of called the wilderness years of Star Wars, uh, West End Games got the rights to produce a Star Wars role-playing game. And it it didn't come out with a lot of fanfare or anything. It just kind of quietly came out. But their system won uh, a couple of awards. One was called the Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game of 1987. So it got a little bit of attention, but not a lot. But the material they were producing there was really, really good. And in some ways, it's actually been referred to as the foundation of the expanded universe. Mm. Because they were creating concepts and ideas and background history that, um, and we're going to jump forward a little bit here, when Timothy Zahn was hired by Lucasfilm to draft the first novel, Heir to the Empire, they sent him a box full of West End Games materials and said, this is what we consider good Star Wars. Make it like this. Well, not only did he make it like this, he used a lot of the ideas. A lot of the ships in the Heir to the Empire books and stuff like that, some of the names of stuff, all come from West End Games materials. So kind of cool that it played played a hand in carrying that through. Yeah, that's remarkable. I didn't know any of that. Yep. But that was that was when Star Wars came back, was 1991. Heir to the Empire and Dark Empire the comic were really the two things that trumpeted the return of Star Wars, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I right after uh, I got out of Kubert, uh, I decided that I was not as well-read as I wanted to be. And so in between summers, I went to – there was a, a thing called a bookstore, and I would go there <laughs> – and I would just buy paperback books, mostly mm-hmm. of classics. Uh, I read Moby Dick. That's when I read Moby Dick. I forced myself wow. to read all of Moby Dick, even the middle 200 pages all about whale blubber. Uh, I read <laughs> Crime and Punishment. I was like – I just wanted to like educate myself a little bit because I had basically just been reading nothing but comic books for you know 19 of my 20-year existence. And I was just <laughs> like, all right, let's, let's expand the brain here a little bit. 
And so I was just reading book after book after book and, and, you know, stuff that was above my head, stuff not so much. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to give myself a little break and read something fun. And they had those Timothy Zahn books. And I, to that point, I had not read a single there, – there, I think these were the only Star Wars books in existence. And so I, was there more than one out at that point? Yes. Actually, okay. there had to have been more because the, the, anyway, this story wouldn't make sense otherwise. But I remember I bought the first one, the first Heir to the Empire by Zahn. Mm-hmm. and went home and I read it. And I was skeptical that this was going to be any good because I just was mm-hmm. like, it's a book. It's not the movie. It's not the hint solo, you know, whatever. I read the first book and I completely fell in love with it. I mean, I just, I, I must have read it, I think, probably in like one or two seatings. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kept, re- I was so, and I remembered finishing the first book, got in my car, drove back to the bookstore, and bought the second book. <laughs> okay. Because I, I just couldn't wait. And then for some reason, I didn't buy the third one because I'm like, well, there's no way the second one's going to be that good. Wrong. <laughs> the second one, and I went back to the bookstore again, and I think I read the entire trilogy in probably three or four days. I mean, okay, I just so. tore through because I was like, this is as good, in my imagination. So I don't know if it's as good as the movies, but I remembered being, I didn't realize that I was so starved for these characters again mm-hmm. and being given something that was anywhere near close to the movies. I just jumped into the pool neck deep. I mean, I just I loved Thrawn. I loved all the ideas. The characters seemed. I heard, you know, in the dialogue, I heard Hamill's voice. I heard Ford's voice. I heard Fisher's voice. It, it just I, it, it rekindled that all over again. And I started reading a ton of Star Wars books at that point because I just was like, oh, okay, this is a totally reasonable way of continuing this fandom. So this would have been ninety four, maybe then for you, I guess. I guess. I mean, I yeah. I seem to think it was right after Cuber, but maybe that was a year or two after because I, I graduated in ninety two, but maybe it was a little bit after that. Well, the way it worked was uh, Air to the Empire came out in ninety one. Okay. Um, Dark Force Rising came out. I think I'm pretty sure ninety two, and I'm pretty sure Last Command was ninety three. Okay. Well, then it had to have, yeah. Then it would have and, been ninety three then. And then the floodgates just opened, yep. and they just novels were pouring out. But those were the first sort of three to come out. Now they, as I mentioned, Dark Horse did a comic at the same time called Dark Empire, and there were some conflicts here between what happened was like because Heir to the Empire came out and Zahn had his plan for the three books. Well, Dark Empire tapped into some of that same story, and so the the apocryphal story is that Zahn got pissed off that the comics were using some of his ideas, or or the same ideas he had had, I should say, and so he changed the end of his story to kill Zahn, uh, kill Thrawn, because he didn't want anyone else messing with him. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the apocryphal story going around at the time. So for me, I, I didn't pick up the first book immediately. Uh, my, a buddy of mine bought it like the, the week it was released, Heir to the Empire. And it was you know, immediately a New York Times bestseller. Like you said, the way you described yourself as starred for Star Wars, the country was starred for Star Wars. They just didn't know it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until they read the book. And Zahn, had, uh, when, he, when he used to take long trips with his kids, he would record the Star Wars movies on audio cassette. And play them in the car. Awesome. So that's how, when you say you heard Hamill's voice and stuff like that, that was very much Zahn's influence of listening to those movies over and over and getting inside those characters' heads. So he was able to write their voice, you know, quote unquote, properly. So anyway, so my buddy uh, Ravenface, um, Simon, he, he read the Heir to the Empire right out immediately. He calls me in the middle of the night and he just goes, Shaq, like, like exasperated. I'm like, what? He goes, Wookiees? have claws. <laughs> and then I think it hung up. I think that was it. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Of course they do. Of course they do. And I was in. 
there. <laughs> From then on, Star Wars novels were, you know, I was in. And <laughs> so I read that, and I read, you know, the other ones as they were coming out, and um, someone spoiled a, a big spoiler for Last Command for me. I was so pissed. Now, like you, I loved these books. I thought they were incredible. And then as the years went on, as more books came out, as more time passed, there people started to turn on them. You know, and went from saying that they were amazing books to sort of saying, well, they weren't really that well written. They weren't that great. When you reread them, they're not as good. Well, I've reread them. And maybe I'm just a simple bear, uh, but, uh, or sim- a bear of simple mind or whatever it is. But I still enjoy them. I think they're still very good. I've listened to the unabridged audios, which, by the way, are excellent. You should do that, too, if you're in the car a lot. And, in fact, my 15-year-old stepson just read Heir to the Empire himself. He, uh, he found it in the library. He brought it home. He's like, is this any good? I'm like, oh. <laughs> sit down, child. Begin reading now. Dude, I look directly at it. <laughs> so he actually, he blazed through that, and now he's reading my Dark Force Rising. Um, so it's just really, you know, I feel really cool. I'm like, I, not, I don't feel cool, but I mean, I feel really excited about sharing that with him. So we sit there like, I'm like, what'd you read about? And we'll talk about the chapters and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. The thing that so I love to... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, the books are worth rereading. If you hear otherwise, it's not... It, I disagree. I think they're definitely still solid stories. There are plot holes, and there's some folks... There's a huge debate as to whether Thrawn is actually a good Star Wars villain or not. I, both sides have valid points. I happen to be on the side that I think Thrawn's an amazing villain. Yeah, well, I was going to say, one of the things I loved about Thrawn was that, that, that Zahn had him learn from the past mistakes and there's a sequence and i think it's the first book i haven't read them in a long time i reread them at some point but i haven't read them in a long time but there's some point where some further down guy messes up like they would in the movies mm-hmm. and he's afraid thrawn is going to kill him and thrawn right. is like no i why would i do that you're a good soldier uh that you know that's a mistake to kill like i like, like he's like i'm not vader i'm not going to kill you because you make a mistake this is the only way you'll learn I was like, what a cool development to have a villain who's like, no, killing my subordinates is silly. Uh, that's not going to, you know, I thought that that's a great little piece of character development. Um, well, they carried it through all three books because it's, there's that, there's the first piece where he does that. Then there's a subsequent one where, if I remember right, like uh, an, uh, there's another mistake and the guy blames the machine rather than admitting his own fault or something like that. And he has that guy killed. Um, or maybe it's he kills that guy, the guy who trained him, something like that. But there's, there's a point where he does start, ki- he does start killing people. Okay. Um, but it's interesting to watch the development in his, in his rationale for why he doesn't and why he doesn't. So. Yeah, I, I yeah, I was really upset. Now I said I lost track of them because there just got to be too many at a certain oh, point. Yeah. They're just, just I just was like, all right. I mean, I read Truce of Pecora and I read some of the other ones. Uh, after a while, I I got <laughs> courtship of Princess Leia. Courtship of Princess Leia. Uh, and then, and then, you know, when I when I spent some time toiling at Borders and uh, working there, and we were getting Star Wars books in, and like there was the one that looked like it was like a combination of Star Wars and the Saw franchise because it was like the Stormtrooper helmet on a bloody hook, oh, yeah. and I'm yeah, like, yeah. all right, what are we doing? <laughs> you know? well, that was like, pretty recently. That was pretty recent, right? I was just kind of like, okay, I felt like these were you know, getting out of hand, but I actually want to go back and read those Thrawn uh, Zon ones again because it said it's been a long time. Yeah, and if you don't, and again, if you don't have time, but you're in the car a lot, the the unabridged audios are just as good. Okay. What, what I've actually done because uh, I've read them a few times now, where I'll actually like listen in the car and then pick the book back up where oh, I left right, off right, right, yeah. and just <laughs> knock it out that way. So I would say uh, the Zon ones are excellent. Um, yeah, poten- I hate to say better, but potentially just as good, if not better. Um, 
is the X-Wing books, specifically the ones by Michael Stackpole. Okay. The, the Rogue Squadron books. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't read them, Rob. No, I've never read those, actually. There, there's a bunch of them. There's, there's, the, the, you want, I would recommend just focus on the Michael Stackpole ones. Then there's, some other, there's another writer who comes in uh, who's, who does a very nice job with another group called Race Squadron. But just read the Rogue Squadron ones that follow a character named Corin Horn. They're okay. so good. He, I mean, out of the expanded universe, my favorite characters are Thrawn, Corin Horn, Mar Jade, and then a character from the comics, uh, Lady Lumaya or um, Cher Bree, however you want to call her. Mm-hmm. But uh, those are those are my favorite expanded universe characters. They're actually kind of like my favorite characters, just because I love the underdog kind of stuff. Avoid anything Kevin J. Anderson wrote. Um, mm, okay. And there's a few other books. Also, if you want to get further down the line, there's a series of books called the. Um, Oh, what is it? The Legend, Le- Legacy of the Force. It's a nine-book cycle, and it's like 40 years after Return of the Jedi. Okay. And it's following the Solo kids and and Skywalker's kids, and it's really, really well done. And I won't say much, but there's a character who goes down to the, the, the dark side path, and his descent into the dark side is so much more believable than what Anakin's was in the movies. You're like, <laughs> well, why, why couldn't it have been like this? This is good. So. That's a faint, faint compliment. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. So, so 1991 comes out. All right, you get the heir to the Empire. You start getting comics. Dark Horse gets the license. They start cranking out comics. About 1994, 95, uh, Kenner picks up the license to Star Wars and starts making action figures again. Yep. And they fit, they they start producing all those unproduced figures that Rob wanted, the the, the <laughs> spy and all this stuff. And I actually started buying figures again, but I would only buy I wouldn't buy the characters I had as a kid. I would only because I still had those in the attic. I would only buy figures that they didn't produce the first time around. So you know I got my Sand Trooper that I'd always wanted, <laughs> and I got like you said the spy. I got oh geez a few others. Uh, and that guy has a name. I feel bad. I it, feel like a bad Star Wars geek that I don't know his name. They all have names, and I used to know them at some point, but they're all kind of gone now. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, I got his action figure. You know, like a lot of the, you know, uh, what's it, Wedge, Antilles, all those mm-hmm. figures that, that you always wanted as a kid you never had. So, and then it's about the same time in 94, 95, when Lucas says, oh, by the way, I'm going to make episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> and the whole country just craps itself. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And at this point, Lucasfilm really knew how to turn on the, the marketing PR machine. Oh, yeah. They, they had it down. The pinnacle of this, or pinnacle of this, would be in 1997 with Shadows of the Empire. Are you familiar with this at all? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this, Shadows of the Empire, from just the marketing perspective of it. They, it, it, they, the way they build it was it was going to have every piece of extraneous Star Wars memorabilia that a movie gets, but without the movie. So they had a book, they had a comic book adaptation, they had a video game, they had a soundtrack, they had action figures, you name it. Everything for Shadows of the Empire was out there. And it was a story that took place between Empire and Return, and it was an interesting enough story. I haven't reread it in years. I'm kind of tempted to reread it. I'd be interested. And, and, the, and the interesting thing was, like, the, the book told one story. The comic actually told a slightly different story, like about different characters during that same period. And the soundtrack's very good. I like the soundtrack quite a bit. And they actually went ahead and produced a book, which I've got, which I'm very proud to own, which is The Secrets of the Shadows of the Empire book. And it is literally the marketing plan. 
And I, I can't, I can't. Well, my background's in marketing. That's my professional background. So this stuff's fascinating to me to read this, like how they approached it, how they planned it. Here's how they were going to penetrate different markets and get the word out there and everything. And I just find it fascinating. So. Was that was it was a success, right? I mean, it was anything that with Star Wars is a success, but I don't, I don't know. I don't. I I only have vague recollections of of being involved in it. I remember I looked at it a little, and I think I just passed it by for whatever reason. Well, it was. Uh, I, I assume it was a success. I don't actually. And the book's written early on in the phase, so I mean, at that point, they're still working the plans. I mean, there's the, nothing with Star Wars on it that wasn't a financial success. There just I don't think there ever has been. Um, Pogs, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, uh, <laughs> the remote control R two D two. I don't know. Although I had one of those myself, so the uh, I would say it was probably successful. I mean, we you know they sold a lot of a lot of merchandise. People right. still talk about it. So I I think it was just very very fascinating. A, a neat, neat little snapshot of the Star Wars universe. You got to see Dash Rendar was the character they introduced, who's sort of the Han Solo fill in character during that period, and. Um, it's just fun. I actually have one of the, some of the I have some of the toys from it, like including the ship, like Dash's ship. It's it's sort of a Millennium Falcon knockoff. Mm-hmm. It's the Outrider. It's a, it's a, it's not a YT thirteen hundred. It's like a YT. Mm, I'm gonna forget. I don't remember. I better not say it. Some somebody will get on my case about it. But anyway, it was neat. It it really. I, I think they were sort of testing the waters for the the release of the movies two years later on how they were gonna make all this work. You know, to to have a, a cohesive marketing plan. So and then you you know two years later 1999 Star Wars Episode One had to be the single greatest anticipated moment of uh, geekdom ever probably yeah yeah I mean it really was yep and uh, so then fast forward to 2015 um, <laughs> oh wait oh oh there's oh there's more to talk about isn't it let's not yeah let's not I mean uh, as I mentioned on Facebook a couple of you saw it I actually rewatched the prequels in anticipation of us recording this episode because I which is the, the things I do for you people the sacrifice uh, right there sacrifice I make I had, episode one yes at normal speed yeah yes I did. Okay. Um, I uh, I and I had not seen these films since they were in theaters. I, I wow. yeah. Okay. Now I will tell you a story briefly. Uh, I was so excited about the Phantom Menace. I mean, look now with the benefit of hindsight, uh, I am very down on prequels in general. I'm just mm-hmm. like, why are we? Don't give me a prequel. Move the story forward. Don't stop at the prequels. I just don't. Every time I hear about, oh, we're going to do a prequel of this, we're going to do that, I'm just like, why? Why not? Whatever. But that, at that point, I hadn't, I didn't have that feeling, and so I was like, okay, if that's the story George Lucas wants to tell us, that's fine. Well, I think that word got made up for this movie, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. There were prequels. Before. Well, but had anyone ever even used the use that word though? That, it's like three Pete, three Pete had to be invented at some point. Yeah, I think prequel got invented for this. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, right. whatever. I don't know what they called those movies that were prequel that were prequels before they called. So maybe maybe it was coined or something. Anyway, just the idea though of there being a you know this is this is a story before the story. I was like okay, and I actually we we were so excited uh, to see Star Wars: Phantom Menace. I uh, that's when I was seeing a lot of movies with. Uh, my buddy Tom Zoller at the time, mm-hmm. and I flew to Ohio. Wow. Flew. I didn't drive anymore because I used to drive out to see him, and I used to fall asleep on the drive and uh, forget that. So I flew out to Ohio, and we all saw him and me and some other friends that lived out there. We all saw it together. We went to like a 10 p.m. showing <laughs> of the movie. 
And I remember after it was over, we all went to a diner. I think it was like a Denny's or something. And I can distinctly, I'm not good. Okay. None of us were lying to, to each other that the movie was good. Mm -hmm. We were lying to ourselves. Right. I'm glad you said that. Okay, good. We were not, I was, I remember sitting there in no way was I trying to sell the the rest of them that I liked the movie. I was trying to sell myself. And Mm -hmm. I will admit, I saw, I can believe I'm going to say this. I saw Phantom Menace in the theater eight times. I saw five. I just was in love with there being new Star Wars. And that's all that I cared about. It is, and then and you'll you'll see the progression because I saw Phantom Menace eight times, I saw Attack of the Clones three times, and then five I time, saw and five then times I, for me. Oh my god! And then I saw Revenge of the Sith one time. Me too. Like one in, time. Yeah. In, in, in those intervening years, the my 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 intellectual honesty kicked in, and I went, oh, <laughs> "These these are terrible. These movies are absolutely." Terrible. And ironically enough, Revenge of the Sith is by far the best of the three. So to me, that's the one you see. If you're going to see any of them eight times, that's the one you see eight times, not friggin' Phantom Menace. But Revenge of the Sith was just bearing the brunt of just the crushing disappointment of those movies. I mean, just, and I rewatched them. Phantom Menace is worse than I remember it. It, It's just awful. I know Andy Andy Capellish said some nice things about it. He's wrong. It's terrible. The dialogue, like, I, I say this about a lot of creative things, mostly movies because because they're done in such piecemeal form. Any creative venture is two parts. It is ec- creation and execution, conception and execution. And it's like, okay, you've seen some things where you're like, well, the idea behind that wasn't great, but it was, but it was done as well as it could have been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to me, Superman Returns is that. To me, Superman Returns is the best possible movie made of a flawed idea. And the Mm -hmm. flawed idea was Superman's been gone for five years. He doesn't love us, doesn't love him anymore. And there's a super kid. Mm -hmm. Those are all bad ideas. Spoilers. Yeah. To me, those are all bad ideas. But the movie they made from those ideas could not have been any better. Mm -hmm. And to me – and then there's reverse – where you see a movie that has a great concept, but they didn't really pull it off. And you're like, eh, that, you know what? Maybe remake that movie 10 years from now because they maybe could have done a better job. Phantom Menace is flawed both ways. <laughs> it's, flawed, <laughs> it's flawed in conception and it is flawed in execution. And when you go back and you listen to the commentary tracks for the original films that Lucas did, it's Lucas and I think Ben Burt and Carrie Fisher – and I think uh, one someone else I forget who it's it's and they're not all together it's it's stitched together of the four of them talking. You listen to Lucas talk, and he has no idea what makes these movies good. He really doesn't. He talks mm. he and and I'm like wow this guy literally has no idea what made these movies so special. And I'm like that's why the prequels went so wrong, is because he just didn't know. He just doesn't understand, which is unbelievable. You would think he would, but apparently he doesn't. Well, after seeing the prequels, I have said uh, on a few occasions that the original three films are an accidental classic, and that sort of yeah. fits that yeah. mode. It, they really are. It, it, they, uh, he didn't set out to make some of the greatest sci-fi adventure no, movies or, ever no, made. No, right, yeah. Uh, but he got, he, got, he got that on the back end. Or maybe he did set out to it, but he didn't know how to make it. Either way. He just wanted to make Flash Gordon. 
I mean, he basically just wanted to make a modern Flash Gordon. That was pretty much all he hoped to do. Now, we've already gotten some hate mail in our inbox. I see it. It's come through already. (laughs) Um, So I do want to say, real quick, as you're typing uh, furiously on your little phones, guys, uh, I, and I don't know if I speak for all, but I am not a prequel hater, meaning... Meaning, like, I hate everything about the prequels. That's not I, that's not me. I, I don't think that's Rob either. We don't like the movies, but there's a difference between being a hater and being someone that doesn't like the movies. Um, I appreciate that it did the prequels. There's some stuff I like about it, but in general, I don't like the films. But I just don't want to carry that label and get a bunch of hate mail for people going, oh, you guys are hating on the prequels. No, it's, it's not that we're hating on them. It's just they weren't that good a film. I don't, and I don't hate George Lucas. There are people who transmogrified the hate from the prequels to the hate of George Lucas. And I don't hate George Lucas. I I think he made terrible movies and he lacked the ability, the self control to actually hand it off to other people or maybe run it by other people or have people in his employ that had the ability to say, George, this isn't good. You're right. No one could say no to him. No one could say no to him. Uh, you know, I mean, again, in a very Darth Vader-like sort of scenario, you know, you don't want to tell the guy the bad news or he's going to force choke you. Um, <laughs> but then I remember, but a couple of years ago, I saw, um, actually, I didn't see this movie. I can't bear to watch it. There's a, there's a documentary called The Cove, which is a movie about um, dolphin killing in Japan, where they, they are, they, 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 yeah, it's a very, it, I think it won an Oscar and it's very well renowned movie and it's about how Japan is sort of slaughtering the dolphins and shouldn't be doing all the, you know, I don't have to make the argument of why you shouldn't be doing that. Anyway, I can't bear to watch it. Even though I know it's probably a good movie, I can't bear to watch it. But one of the things that the, that the filmmakers did was they went to Lucasfilm to help come up with some experimental cameras mm-hmm. that could record under the water for like months at a time. Mm-hmm. And Lucasfilm helped develop this camera that looked like a rock or something. And it could withstand seawater constantly pummeling it for months and months on it and not be damaged. Hmm. And he did this essentially for free. Like he just did it because he's a big animal person. And I remember seeing that and I thought to myself, you know what, George, if George Jar Binks dolls paid for that, then more power to you. There you, go. you know, like absolutely. And so, no, I don't, I don't hate George. I mean, George gave us all something and we all owe him. Uh, he, he owes us nothing, but I also don't, I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid and say those are good movies because they're not, they're really terrible, but okay. You know, I think, I think my favorite is probably the second one, by the way, you know what? I re rewatching them again. I Phantom Menace, horrendous, a clones to me boring. And then the 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 second half of Sith a lot better than I remember it. Okay, a lot better. Like all the stuff where he turns to Darth Vader, and I was like, oh man, cool. You know, like so. You know, okay. <laughs> but it, it, I was I was sort of glad to rewatch them because it was like I need to give these a fresh appraisal as opposed to just being. You know, like, well, those are the impressions I had, you know, 15 years ago, and those are locked in stone. No, let me watch them again. <sighs> Hard to believe that those are 15 years old. 15 years old. Phantom Menace is 15 years old. So That's nuts. But, but no, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a hate. I mean, I know we make fun of them, or at least I do, all the time. Yeah. And, I, and I think the reason I give them a lot of shit the way I give Green Lantern a lot of shit, like, I know I, I make fun of that movie all the time, and on Facebook people are like, why do you hate on Green Lantern so many worse movies? If a movie has, like, endless resources – 
and it's terrible, I'm more, I'm less forgiving of it than a movie that's has less ambition mm. and fit. You know what I mean? Like if, a, if, yeah. if they only have a couple million to spend and they don't make a great movie, all right, it was a minor effort. But like when you have $150 million to spend and you can't make a good movie, I'm like, you really suck. <laughs> and that's why I hated Green Lantern. This, to me, it was like so much money was thrown at Green Lantern and no thought was made into the actual film. I think, it was, you know, that's why I'm like so angry at that movie. Well, a lot of thought. They, now, be fair. Right, right, let me not say thought. A lot of that's thought is put fair. into these movies, but it's just wrongheaded. I I feel like the the, 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 the the screenplay of Green Lantern was an afterthought behind the marketing and the this is the beginning of our universe kind of thing. But okay. Um, and no, there clearly a lot of thought was put into the prequels, but yeah, it was wrongheaded. It was, it was, and so, you know, okay. <laughs> you know? They, they, honestly, if he'd had, um, someone to come in and do, rewrite the screenplay for dialogue and bring an outside director, movies probably would have been, could have potentially been fine. I think Phantom Menace is unsalvageable because of, of like I said, the conception. I think having Maybe. little kid Darth Vader, just, no, nope, 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 nope. Um, well. I don't know. I I, no, I just think that's a. I think you cannot make that work. I think that you had to have started it later on when he was a teenager. Um, but you know what? My nephew, who I talk about on the show, them loves them, and he loves them all the movies together. He does not draw a line the way old fart me does. <laughs> old Star Wars and new Star Wars. Or, Wait, you don't I, call Empire Strikes Back episode six or episode? What was it? I call it Empire. Five. I call it Empire. Right, exactly. No, I don't deny the film's existence. <laughs> no, no. Like, I, I, I worked with a guy at one point who said, he, we were talking one day, and he said, well, is, did that happen in episode five? I'm like, what the hell's episode five? He's like, well, that's the one on the snow planet. Yeah, I'm like, first I'm like, it's freaking Empire. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, but it's just, it's episode five. I'm like, no, don't call it that. Yeah, right, no. Don't my, do that. No, my, my nephew, he regards all Star Wars as all good. The Clone Wars cartoon, oh. it's all one thing to him. And so, you know, uh, who am I to disabuse him of that notion? Have you seen the Rebels cartoon yet? I have not. I have watched little bits of it. I can't get past the animation. I just can't. It, to me, it's get, such get a cruddy-looking show. Get over yourself. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. I know, I've In heard fact, good things, but I just can't. That animation just like, oof. Check this out. Um, they've done some really clever things with it. Like, uh, one of the characters, uh, I've only seen a couple episodes and it's, I watch it with my stepson and because I'm an old man, I fall asleep usually, but, um, there's a large sort of animalistic character with, with pointed ears. And if you look at it, that is the old Ralph McQuarrie artistic interpretation for Chewbacca. Oh, that's fun. Okay. I like that. Like, you remember the Macquarie stuff that mm-hmm, came out before? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know who Macquarie is, guys, uh, they hired Ralph Macquarie to do a bunch of conception drawings for Star Wars based on, like, Lucas's screenplays and stuff. And uh, Chewie looks very different. And that's, oh, what yeah. that, that's what that character in uh, Rebels looks like. And there was another character. Jeez, oh, he was a minor character in the background in one of the episodes. But he was Anakin Starkiller, the design for Anakin Starkiller. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, this is so cool. That's a neat little, you know, neat little Easter eggs here and there. I think they even made toys based on his designs, didn't they? Didn't they do a line they did of toys? At some point, yeah. Yeah. Well, they made toys on a bunch of stuff. Like they made toys on uh, the comic book characters, even. Um, so, like, I have a, a Lumaya uh, character from the Marvel comics. I have her action figure. But no, Hujib. Don't don't make it hurt. <laughs> don't make it hurt. Uh, in fact, the only Star Wars action figures I have, because you know I have some action figures on display in my office. I have a bunch of the Justice League and Justice Society figures. I got a few of this guy named Firestorm and Aquaman uh, and Blue Devil. But the only Star Wars action figures I have on display are uh, Thrawn, 
and uh, Lumaya, uh, Mara Jade, and then I have a Luke just to go with Mara Jade, so it's like husband and wife kind of thing. But they didn't ever all... make a they didn't ever make a figure of the hunter, did they? That bionic guy with the who was from the early Star Wars comics. Yeah. I'd buy that well, if they made one of those. I, I say no, but I, I I could be wrong. He was one of my, he's my favorite character. Did. He was super cool. He was he, well, he fought cool. Valence, right? Uh, or was he, he Valence? No, he wasn't Valence. No, he, okay. was, he was a guy that had he had a uh, a hate on for Han Solo because he was he was a stormtrooper who was damaged when the Death Star got attacked, but he made it off, and so to save. Himself, he got turned into like half a robot. Okay. And he had like all this flake, fake flesh put over his face. And then the end of one of the issues, he pulls his face off and he's like a half robot. I was like, <gasps> so he was always like my favorite character. So if they made a toy of him, I'd probably buy that one. But. My weakest area of Marvel Star Wars is like that uh, episode or issue seven through right, like early, 40. Yeah, yeah. Just the ones I, I have them and I've read them, but I just barely remember right. them. In fact, I was counting up how many Star Wars comics I have. I have something like 350 Star Wars comics. That's a lot of Star Wars comics. Where the hell did all that happen? How did that happen? I don't even know. So, and now, the, uh, so really, for me, my Star Wars jam is the novels. That's mm-hmm. what I love the most. And then the, the role-playing game. Those are my two favorite things. The, the, the novels, EU. Not, and sorry, I know there's a lot of folks that like the EU from the prequels. I, I've never gotten much enjoyment out of that. I know there's some good stuff out there. I know like the the Order 66 books from what's the Commando books are supposed to be pretty good um, by Karen Travis, but I just my my jam is the uh, like the New Republic era novels are just my favorite. Anyway, the role playing books are great. I I played all the West End game systems, played them for years. In fact, I met a guy. Well, I I, I knew this guy when I was younger. Then he came into the store I was working at and he, he had an interest in Star Wars role playing games. We got talking about the Zon books. We put together a role-playing group. Next thing I know, we became roommates, and we've been best buddies ever since. We've been best men in each other's weddings. Wow, real love all, match. All because of Star Wars. Look at that. A match made in the stars. <laughs> wow. So, something's coming up. 2015, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, just this week, they announced the title. See, once again, our show influences. As soon as we announced, I announced that you know we were going to do a Star Wars episode, they announced the title. It was like what yeah. Marvel did. As soon as we did our episode about the DC movies, Marvel makes this big announcement. And we are just – so we, we wield more influence with the show than we would have imagined. And as I said, I look forward to buying a lottery ticket this weekend. That's right. <laughs> um, the Force Awakens. I am so proud of my 15-year-old stepson. He is a true Star Wars fan because when they announced the title, I called him in my office. I was like, come here. It's, it's, they've said it. They said the name. He's like, oh! I mean, he freaked out. He like almost was visibly shaking. He was so excited. <laughs> and I'm like, you ready? I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, here we go. And I click the link, and there's the title card. It says, "The Force Awakens." And he's like, "The Force Awakens." The Force Awakens. What does that even mean? And I was like, "You've come of age," because <laughs> that's exactly how every single one of us felt when they announced the Phantom Menace. We're like, "What? What the hell?" I'm excited, but what the hell is that? You know, and the same thing with Attack of the Clones. We're like, Attack of the Clowns? Is that what that is? They're going to have a clown cars? I mean, we've, every time, they've, other than Revenge of the Sith, because that was an obvious parallel to Return of the Jedi, like, we've all been scratching our heads when they would announce a movie title. So I was like, you're, you're, you're all grown up now. I'm so proud of you. So what do you think, what do you think of the title? Um, I, it's a little passive to me, yeah. you know. Um, to me, it does hint on what the story might be. I am not... I am not going to hunt down any information of the movie. I am only going to want to see what they choose to show me. 
because mm-hmm. I don't want it spoiled. I don't want to know things. I want to go into the movie pretty pretty cold. I'll watch whatever trailer they put out yeah. or trailers. Yeah. Maybe not even that. Maybe even one trailer might be enough. There's rumors that it's there's going to be a trailer next month. Uh, the the prevailing rumor seems to be it's going to be in front of Into the Woods because that's a Disney film. Um, I have mentioned, I think, on the show before that at work we have access to a site that uh, is basically just a series of electronic press kits by all mm-hmm. the major studios, mm-hmm. and they put up pages for movies that are coming, mm-hmm. and they'll put a page up, and they might not even have any content, but they put a page, and they Disney has a Star Wars page up on this site. Mm-hmm. Now they're not going to post anything there that the rest of you aren't going to see because right. one, you know, it's they don't put things, you know, it's not going to leak. But I'm just so excited that the page is there. <laughs> and I get, you know, every so often I see it and I'm like, ooh, Star Wars. Because, I mean, that's not, that's not my department, a theatrical trailer. So it's, yeah. there's no reason for me to look at it. But nevertheless, I do. Every time I see it, I'm like, ooh, did they put it? No, okay, there's nothing in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I, like I said, I think it's a passive title. But I, I can imagine that the story is going to be something to the effect of, you know, Luke has been kind of gone into maybe not hiding but, you know, if he's got the big scraggly beard as he seems to, that he's probably been sort of uh, been Kenobiing it in the past, you know, 30 years. And now the Force has to, you know, the Jedis have to come back in some way to, to fight some new threat. I have no idea and I don't really even care. Um, I, I've been kind of speculating that it's like he's been training young Jedis for a while. Right. But this is when they finally have to prove themselves. Something. Okay, yeah. they give me that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it like the title doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Skyfall is a very boring James Bond title, and that was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought Phantom Menace is a perfectly fine title, and we all know how I feel about that. So the title doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> the quality of the movie. Right. I mean, J.J. Abrams, he made a really, really great Star Wars movie that he called Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, very action-oriented. It, it, I didn't realize it until someone else told me that. It was like, wow, that makes a really great Star Wars movie. I'm like, what? And I watched it again. I'm like, wow, it does. Just needs lightsabers. So I, I feel very confident about this movie. I mean, I think it has every chance of being very good. Now, you mentioned Luke with the scraggly beard, so I assume you've seen the still of him looking just like friggin' Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is Mark Hamill is now the same age Alec Guinness was when Alec Guinness made Star Wars. No way. Yes, he is. <sighs> I mean that image blew my mind. Like I, I've been like excited and stuff, and and like you, I I'm actually going to try and avoid a lot of the promotional stuff. Even the stuff they want me to see, I'm going to try and avoid a lot of it. I'll watch the trailers just because I, I can't. You won't be able. Yeah, I mean, I right. Awesome. But but when I saw I saw I stumbled across that by accident, and I saw that, and I'm just like, holy crap, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I even showed it to my wife, who doesn't care at all. <laughs> She likes Star Wars. Don't get me wrong, but she she's a, she's a sequel hater. She thinks no movie should have sequels. She thinks you just do the first one, you'd be done with it. You know, you don't you don't That's do this nonsense. Ridiculous. Well, it's just it's her philosophy. But although I think actually she's probably okay with Empire in Return. Evidence is mostly on her side, though. <laughs> when I think about it. <laughs> well, I, th- I think again, if it's if it's designed to be a three arc story, it's probably okay. But like you know, when they make a movie and it's successful, they go, "Oh, we're making a part two. Yeah. You know, Ghostbusters part two, perfect example. There are very like, few examples. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so even she was like, "Whoa," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to see much else. I, I I saw a shot of a video of of 
J.J. Abrams on the set at one point, and there was like a X-wing behind him, but it was mm-hmm. a little different. And like, I didn't want to see that. I like trying to block it out and stuff. And I was, I'm I, excited. I was surprised. I thought after the prequels that my interest in Star Wars was just. I don't say it was killed because it wasn't because I still love the movies. I mm-hmm. still watch the movies regularly. Um, so it wasn't like it killed it, but it just killed my ongoing interest in Star sure. Wars. You know, I just was like, okay, my interest in Star Wars is these movies and these books and these comics and nothing past 1997 because the, these prequels are just so terrible. And I thought that's what happened. And then when they announced – Hey, we've sold it to Lucasfilm, and we're going to make more no, film. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Lucas, Lucasfilm sold to Disney, and we're going to make three more films, and they're going to be the continuation of the story. And we've got Hamill and Ford and Fisher. It rekindled that all over again, and I was surprised by my own reaction because I was like, "I'm, I'm back in, baby." I was, in, <laughs> and they posted that photo of the cast all sitting around yeah. at the ta- at you know the sort of the in the table read as it were, and I just got completely into it. I just really did. Now, if I go and I see this movie and it's terrible and I'll then know, okay, my I'm a Star Wars fan up to a certain point and not past that. Then I'll know right. it really is dead for me. But for now, I am – I can – I like all my normal hard-hearted cynicalness is drops away on this because everything I've heard them announce I think has been the right decision. In terms of the cast, uh, they got all that heat for there being so few women and minorities in the film. And then what do they do? They go out and they announce that uh, Napita Luongo was in it. And the other, the woman whose name, Gwendolyn, I forget her, Christie or something, the woman from Game of Thrones is in it, who is a great actress. She's my favorite part of Game of Thrones. She's in it. Lawrence Kasdan is back, right? It's like they're, it's practical effects. Ryan Johnson is doing episode eight. It's literally every single announcement they've made. I've been like, that's a great idea. So mm-hmm. my ex- I, I'm trying to keep my expectations low. There's no way it's going to match the feeling I had. It, it can't, and it shouldn't because I'm, I'm an old man now and I'm not six anymore. It can't have the same reaction. But if I can walk out of that film just going, boy, that was really fun and it was true to the characters and it breathed life in them again while developing the story and presenting the platform for these new characters, great. So I, I, I'm going into it wanting it to be really great. And like I said, all of my hard-hearted cynicism just melts away in the face of all of what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, uh, initially, I was pretty upset when they announced that all of the expanded universe was no longer canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some pretty violent reactions to that announcement, actually, uh, amongst people that I know that are, are big fans of the expanded universe. It kind of broke my heart. You know, I was like, okay, Mara, gone. That hurts. That's that's. Well, you don't know she's gone. True. They said they could they could cherry pick what yeah, they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um. So that that really was sad, and it took me a while to get over that. And once I finally said, okay, you know what? Yeah, it's sort of like the the new fifty two. Actually, it's exactly like the new fifty two. Is that the old you know the new fifty two? The old comics aren't gone. You know, I've still mm-hmm. got them in the long box. So I can read them anytime I want. Those stories didn't vanish from existence. They're just not the future storyline. Well, that's fine. For Star Wars, I'm going to treat it the same way as the New 52. Is that, you know what? All my old books with Thrawn and stuff like that, I've still got them. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, they didn't, they didn't stop being good all of a sudden. There's a, so. there's a uh, Star Wars podcast that was new called Far, Far Away, uh, which just this week had an episode with Sterling Gates on it. Uh, wow. Yeah, your, your friend of mine, Sterling Gates, Firestorm writer, 
for Stoney Gates. And he makes that same exact point oh, really? about how, okay. you know, he's talked about the stuff that he's written has been, you know, washed away by, by continuity. And he says it doesn't change the fact that you enjoyed the story and you enjoyed the, the guy, you know, the one who wrote it enjoyed it and what you got out of it and what you got out of it as a reader. So, yeah, I, 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 you're way more attached to the EU than I am, so I understand that feeling of like, oh, geez, you know, I felt like they were continuing the story. But at the same time, you're making the movies. We're like, we're not going to be constrained by what somebody in a book wrote. Exactly. That's crazy. This is a multi-trillion dollar franchise we've got going here, and we're not going to be stuck in. That said, of all the characters, Mary Jade to me is the number one that you should pull from. That, it would me, be that's nice. the number one character to use. It would be nice if they acknowledged it. I mean, well, I don't know. It'd be kind of hard for them to say, well, Luke's married, but she's not in the movie. <laughs> or something like that. And to me, that's the character you use. If you're going to pull anything out of the out of the books, pull Mara Jade. That, to me, is the number one character that you should... That but at is the same deserving. time, they, they know that they're just going to get into a pissing match with the fans by saying, well, if Mara Jade's real, then everything else has to be right. Well, no, not no. necessarily. I, I, I'm but. sure those arguments will really be worried, will be drowned out by the millions of dollars falling into the... <laughs> the buck well, I mean, cash coming in. J.J. Abrams, you know, this is the second franchise he's had to pick up and run with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he did Star Trek, you know. So, ah, oh, man. So, uh, what else? Uh, I don't know. Do we, have we tapped everything? We just got to a movie that's not even out yet. I think we're done. I mean, I'm super excited that Marvel's got the Star Wars franchise again. Uh, I will be picking that first book up. I will absolutely be involved in that. Um, I I, you know. I I probably won't. No. Well, I I bought, I bought the Dark Horse one by Brian Wood, and I realize what I'm about to say is everyone's going to be screaming like, "What?" Um, it was fine, but it was a six issue story arc, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. It was you had to follow like five six issues, and I don't want that. You know, I, I'm I'm so used to Star Wars comics being one and dones or two and dones or whatever. Mm-hmm. That I don't need. I don't. I don't want that. There's so many Star Wars comics I haven't read that are already printed, that fit that more that mold, or right. ones that I read 20 years ago. I don't remember. I'm probably just going to read those instead. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, if it's not good, it's not good. But I'm definitely going to give it a shot just because I said my love of Star Wars was so informed by the Marvel series and the Marvel treasuries, the Star Wars treasuries. I still have them. They're here on my shelf as I'm, I'm sitting here. Um, so I'm definitely going to give it a shot. And said, I am going to be, I mean, I'm not, I don't need to see things on the opening weekend anymore. I used to, I don't, I just don't have that desire, but it's going to be really hard not to go see Star Wars at opening weekend. If I can this, get a ticket, this is an opening weekend thing. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm having a mental bet with myself that there's a theater here just down the street from us. It's an AMC, and it's six screens, mm-hmm. and it is one of those things where the seats are um, deluxe, where it's like it's like a big recliner, mm-hmm. and you can pre-buy your tickets, and you pre-pick okay. your seat. And oh, wow. Yeah. Pre-pick your seat? Yes. You pick it – as you buy the ticket online, you, you, you are allowed to pick your seat. So therefore, no one can take your seat. It's yours. And that means you don't have to get there three hours ahead of time. You can get there two minutes before it starts. No one's in your seat. And now that that has been introduced, I'm like, why did I ever see a movie any other way? I mean, there's a bunch of savages. You know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm having a, like a mental bet with myself. I'm like, there's six screens. I'm wondering, do they? You, you've heard? I don't know if you've heard of a. There's a there's a term in the movie business called four walling it, where you rent out a movie uh, theater to run your film. 
and you're basically just renting the theater and you fill it full of your friends. Okay. And I haven't heard that term, but yeah. I, mean, I, I used to work in movie theaters. So, I mean, you know, for, for three years I managed AMCs. Okay. Oh, right. So okay. Yeah. We used, to, we used to rent the theater out for companies all the time. Right. So this is like when a studio does it. They're, they're you know, basically in a – so to me this is a – is Star Wars going to be a six-theatering it where they've got six screens. Are all six screens going to be Star Wars? Because it's like um, what other mo- what other movies anybody's going to go see that weekend? They probably can't. They probably can't. I know, like, there's some legal things that you can't do that, but but I well, bet if they it's, could, it's not a legal thing. It's not. What what it would be is that if they choose to show Star Wars, which is a Disney release, um, Fox and right, the other, Paramount, Paramount and everyone else they lose their minds. Well, exactly, because they will have had movies out. They they they're probably smart enough not to release a movie that weekend, but they will have had a movie out a week or two before that. Yeah, that's true. They would still be in theaters. And I mean, here's a, here's a good example. This is this is crazy. I'm getting way off the reservation here, but AMC uh, back in the '90s bumped uh, Coneheads. Remember that terrible film, Coneheads? Coneheads came out, and AMC they did something where they basically pushed Coneheads out of the way for a larger film release. And Paramount said, what? How dare you? And they got into a bit of a pissing match. Hmm. And for years, AMC didn't get Paramount movies. With the exception of if they were the only theater, like in an area. Hmm. If they were the only theater in the area, they would get the Paramount movie. But if there was an area where you had two theaters and you know they would split who got what movies, AMC never got the Paramount film. Hmm. And so you'd have a similar situation again where if someone did, a, as you described, a six-screener, every other film company would lose their money. Yeah, you're right. They would. It'll be so. interesting to see how many screens that it does fill. Cause oh, it's, yeah. It's going to be massive. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah. But if you've got reserved seating, whew, you better buy a ticket like I, the first three minutes. <laughs> I literally almost refuse to see a movie in any other theater at this point because it's just, it's just so much easier not having to get there so far ahead of time and worry about – Somebody, you know what I mean? Just not having to worry about that. It's great. We always pick the same three seats. Mm-hmm. I always pick the same E five, E six, E seven. It's always us, uh, and, and it, it's great. It's great. I absolutely. I wish more theaters did it. I think it's a, and you pay a little extra, but it's worth it because I am money bags Kelly, and it's just totally worth it to do it. So uh, that that movie, I'm going to take my dad to see it. My dad took me to see all the Star Wars movies when I was a kid, yep. and I'm going to take him. We, I said, Dad, we're going to go. Well, I'll take you to those because he, he, you know, he was uh, sort of big enough to, to take his son to these things, even though he enjoyed them. I mean, he genuinely enjoyed them. But, I mean, I'm sure it was nothing like taking this little madman with him <laughs> to see <laughs> Darth Vader is whose father. Well, that's great. Uh, so, you know, the, I look I, forward to that. I did that with uh, the Star Trek movie because my dad introduced me to Star Trek, me and my brother both. And so when the Star Trek movie came out, we um, – we all flew to the same city to watch it together. There you go. Me, my brother, and my dad. And I, you know, doing that for Star Wars might be, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of it. Although now it's hard because now I have a, a son who's going to want to see right. it. You well, know? you can all, you can, although I guess if you're in different towns. Yeah, yeah it might be. Well, you know, he's close enough. I could drive. But either way. Um, so what are you going to do if it's a 3D release? Which seems Well, likely. they'll, it's not going to be a 3D release. I think it'll, what? I think it'll be, no, I don't well, think it's, what? I don't think it's going to be a 3D release. Well, what? You can just keep doing that annoying voice all you want. It's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be a three D release. When's the latest? They, they, they Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Yeah, but it wasn't just a three D release. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Not ex- well. Nothing will be an exclusive. Well, that's 3D what I'm release. saying. I'm it, sorry. Okay. No, no, the no movie is it. 
No, I I hate the three D movies. I think they're mostly terrible. I think the effects are terrible. I saw Man of Steel in three D. I saw Iron Man three in three D. I didn't like it at all. So I will see two D. Uh, just flat out two D. Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty awesome in three D, by the way. But mm. uh, not that I seek that out. I, I just happen to see it for the particular timing of it. But uh, I. It's funny, like, I, I, I am a jaded old fan. I am. I just, just like I said, I'm not going to try the new Star Wars comic, which is ridiculous. It's stupid. I should absolutely try it. But mm-hmm. I'm just a tired old grumpy fan that enjoys reading old comics nowadays. Uh, I'm kind of the same way with movies. I, like, there's not a lot of new... I, I'm just turning into old man. Anyway. I just um, want my warlords. Sassafras, get off my lawn. Who touched the thermostat? Anyway, so Guardians of the Galaxy has given me hope for future movies because I enjoy that movie so much. You said that it's such a fun movie. It is so much fun that it's like, I watch that and I'm like, you know what? People can make fun movies still. Mm-hmm. It can be done. So that's just like, gosh, I hope, like, and Star Trek to me is fun, even though it's, it had flaws. You know, but oh, I love it, the first, I yeah, love that first one, yeah. It's got some flaws, but it's still a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I, like, it makes me sit there and go, you know what? This Star Wars movie could just be incredible. I really hope it is. Now, I think the the biggest risk factor here is probably the untested kid actors, you know, and they're not mm-hmm. even kids. I mean, they're probably what nineteen, twenty years old. But uh, they're 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 the they're the biggest risk, I think. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, I mean, you got experienced people out there. Hopefully, this pulls it off. I will lose my mind when I see Harrison Ford as Han Solo again. I will lose my friggin' mind. I ne- he's my, always been my favorite character, and I never thought in a million gajillion years there would ever be new Han Solo ever. I just thought now that that door is shut because he's such a he's just sure. a giant block of wood at this point. And I lost my mind when I saw uh, him as Indiana Jones again when they fr- yeah. when they released that first set shot of him just sitting in a, like a chair mm-hmm. as Indiana Jones. I was like, oh my god, I'm looking at Indiana Jones again. And even though that movie is terrible, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's just no, not great. It's te- it's terrible. It's mm-hmm. better than Phantom Menace, but that's not exactly. That's not saying much. Um, <laughs> Indiana Jones and King of the Crystal Skull is a terrible movie. I am not sorry it exists. Like I'm, right. I'm glad they did it again. And if they make Indiana Jones five, I will be there. Even if it has Shia LaDuff in it, I will go see it. Um, so when they, when the, when the trailer comes out and they see that first shot. Of him as Han Solo again, I will lose my friggin' mind. I will, it, for a moment, I will be nine years old again. Where I'm like, I can't believe I'm looking at new Han Solo. It's just, well, I, think, it'll just I imagine be unbelievable. We'll, see a, we'll see a still of it. Probably be a still before that. But I mean, whenever, whenever the first image is, whether it's a still photo, whether it's in the trailer, just I will be like, oh my friggin' god. So yeah, I am. I, I, right. right now, I'm just completely on board. Just because I, I don't want to stop talking about Star Wars. But we need to go to bed. Either way, but a few, a couple of minutes of speculation. All right. So Han and Leia still together? I hope so. I don't know if they are. Wouldn't it make better drama if they're not together as a couple anymore, but they have to work together for the sake of the kids or something? I hope Cause, they. Because I don't need to see them in love. I don't care about that. I've seen that. Yeah, I don't know. I just. I, I, their their story is the happily ever after story, and to me, if you Why? break them up, you break them up, then you're shitting on that. Why? Who said they're happily ever after? Who said that? Why is that? Because it be? took two. Because after they went through so much together to be together, and then you're going to find out. Oh no no no! Actually, they were. No, I I don't. I 
the the other rumor that people are flying around is that Han bites it. In well, I mean, that of, was my next question: is How soon until Harrison Ford dies? It will be that, first movie, second movie, or third movie. I wouldn't be shocked if he if he dies in the first film. That this was his decision, like because he's been so anti Star Wars for so long. But the fact that he's doing it again, I could see him saying, "That's the deal. I'll come back and I'll do one more, but then I'm going to bite it because he wanted to die in Jedi." Right, he and wanted Lucas, to die in Jedi. Exactly Lucas, right. Han's story was over. Yeah, and Lucas wouldn't let him. So I could see this, but I, you know, I if you're going to kill Han, then obviously them being not a couple anymore isn't the worst thing in the world. And you could see that they wouldn't be because, you know, Leia's going to go off being the queen of the universe or whatever. And, you know, the queen of the rebellion and Han isn't necessarily that guy. So I could see that. So he maybe gets back in the Melinda Falco with Chewie and they go off. So. I, I, w- I would say if Han survives through all three films, then I would say Han and Leia are broken up, more likely, to provide that drama of them. Yeah, I don't see him together. in all three films. I, I see him well, dying. Well, I would see that as them, that being the drama for them having to get back together, you know, because that, that's, a, that's a trope, you know. Couples, when you see him again, they split up and they have to get back together. But if he's going to die, then yes, I would say they're together the whole time, because okay. that would be, that would make more sense. Um, I saw a picture of Carrie Fisher recently, and she looked thin. Okay, good for her. So, well, I just, there was all that nasty criticism. I hated all that shit. Yeah, I know. I really hated that. It's like, God forbid a woman get older and gain weight. Oh, exactly. You know, how terrible. But I was, but when I saw the photo, I just, I was a little happy in that regard, being like, okay, maybe people won't give her such a hard time in the movie then, because I don't want to hear that shit again. Yeah. Um, So I'd rather they just be. You know, it's Leia. She got older. Deal with it. The thing it. I love about it is Carrie Fisher probably does not give a shit. That's the thing that's I, that makes me feel better. Like, just she just doesn't care. And she was so willing to mock herself in different roles. Did you ever see her on 30 Rock? Yes. You know, yes. She's, help me, Liz Lemon. You're my only hope. I was just right. like, oh, God. God bless you, Carrie Fisher. Well, she she did the Jay and Silent Bob films. Yeah. She, she, you know. Well, hell, she was in Blues Brothers back in the day. She wasn't. But, I mean, that's yeah. but that's, she wasn't parodying Star Wars. But, and but she's always had a sense of humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She so, hosted yeah. Saturday Night Live right during Star Wars, during the whole. She, uh, she was at Dragon Con not too, a couple years ago. She jumped on a table. And, and it was yelling like, I'm Gary frickin' Fisher or something like that. I don't know. She was just having fun, you know, being silly. Of the three main – of the three, and really we should lump in Delaney Williams there too because he deserves to be in there. And I hope he's, he's in not the film. He's not in there. I hope I – ho- well, I hope they're saving him. Like I hope that it's like, well, we oh, don't want to – show up in the second film yeah. like he did? Okay. Like I don't want them to tip their hand. They don't have to reveal every – we got everybody. You know what I mean? It's like we'll like, leave some things to be some surprises. Like of the three main cast members, if I could meet one of them – Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher would be the one I wanted to meet because she'd probably be the most fun. Hamill, I just don't, I can't get a read on. And Ford, he'd be the one I'd want to meet the most, but I feel like I'd come away with the most negative. Yeah, maybe you know. And I'm like, I don't want to meet a guy and then walk away being like, oh god, he was such a dick. So well, it's not that it's not that he's gonna be, but he's not. He's an actor. He is not Indiana Jones, and he is not. Well, I know that. I, I just, I just feel like he would be just a big grumpy. Yeah, he 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 doesn't like all the adulation. Yeah, exactly. Fisher Fisher would be the one to seem like she's most funny, fun. So. Yeah, I've read her books. I mean, she's yeah, she's a blast. She's a blast. I, I'm just thrilled that she, that they got him to do it. So all right, so all right, so we got that speculation. Um, Luke has kids. Uh, I don't know. I I, I, th- I think he kind of has to. I could see that. I mean, I said I hope they do marriage aid and stuff. So. Well, what they could do if they if they want to dodge that bullet to some extent, 
you know, not really get into that. They could just say Luke has a son or a daughter or whatever, mm-hmm. and the, the the wife died years ago, mm-hmm. and now he's a lone Jedi again, you know, yeah. or something like that. Um, and they could even you know call her Mara, you know, whatever. That's true. But, so that that should be interesting. I mean, I really hope. Like, I heard recently that you know the the Han, Luke, and Leia really are going to be like a part of the action. Yeah, they're the main characters. Supposedly, they're the main characters of this first film, and then they hand sort of the story off to the younger characters for the remaining films. Oh, okay. See, I hadn't even heard that much. Okay, I was just going to say, I really hope the younger characters get a chance to shine and become the stars of the story. Yep. Because I mean, it's that's they're handing it off now. In, in addition to these three movies, I mean, there's all these ancillary movies they're talking about making tons of them. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. But that, that's where the franchise could get kind of messy quickly. Um, if you start cranking out too many and, and you don't have a strong hand watching it, and you're like, ah, oh, well, yeah, we're on our seventh movie, whatever, just crank a crank a Jar Jar movie out, go for it, <clears throat> you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, <Fair laughs> you have, you have a little stroke there. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll get a Pliff and the Hoojib movie. Anyway, all right, I'm just I'm dragging this out because I don't want it to end, but we need to because we're like two hours into this, I think almost. But folks. Um, Star Wars, go see it. Uh, I know you probably weren't going to see it until we you know, really <laughs> talked about it and got you excited. <laughs> Somebody so. out there, David Gutierrez, is like, that's a good idea. I'm going to go see Star Wars. I think I'll go see that movie now. You nerds told me to see it. I think I'm, I, I'm not sure I've even seen the other three. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rob, tell them where to find you. Uh, you can find me at AquamanShrine.net and on Facebook and Twitter and Google+. We have a contest going on right now, which is a Aquaman and the Others contest where you take a picture of yourself reading an Aquaman and the Others comic somewhere in public. And if you uh, your photo is picked, you will win an autographed copy of the first trade paperback signed by Dan Jurgen. So please send in your photos with the hashtag IamAnOther. Nice. Very nice. Dan was very nice. He did an interview with the Shrine last week, which was great. Very good. Dan's always so nice. Yeah. He's such a great guy. Uh, you can find me at firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, and Tumblr. All is Firestorm Fan. You can also find me over on the Ultraverse Network, dedicated to Malibu's Ultraverse. Or, I should say, Marvel's Ultraverse. Gosh, everything's all tied together. So Marvel bought Malibu. Disney bought Marvel. So there could be a Ultraverse Star Wars crossover. Could be a Han Solo Sludge team up. <laughs> Jabba the Hutt and Sludge. That would work. So anyway, I'm surprised you were able to pull Sludge out of the air. I see. I listen to the show. Oh my gosh, uh, we make fun of you. So that's good. I know. Anyway, uh, that's Ultraverse. You can find that at ultraversepodcast.com. You can also find it as Ultraverse Network on iTunes and uh, check it out. And also, I am a member of the Legion of Super Bloggers. Uh, over there with uh, legionsuperbloggers.blogspot.com and I'm also a member of the Who True Freaks which is a Doctor Who podcast on the uh, the, the, the True True Freaks network and I'm leaving out a couple things that I'm forgetting about and that's probably for the best. Anyway, alright folks, uh, thanks for listening. Fan the uh, fan the, the Millennium Falcon and, and ride the Parsecs. Just say may the force be with you. There it is. You don't have to. I'm dropping in the music. Okay. Yeah, I, I paid for the track on iTunes.
Master, sir? I heard Yoda talking about midichlorians. I've been wondering, what are midichlorians?